Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Football podcast. I'm your host, Billy Powell, and before we get into the episode, I'd just like to apologise for there not being any episodes last week. It was a pretty hectic week for me personally, and unfortunately there just wasn't enough hours in the day to get any episodes out for you, which I am very sorry about, but I'm back, and we've got a mad few weeks ahead of us with all the games in the lead-up to Christmas. Anyways, getting straight into the weekend's fixtures just gone and with the Villa-Newcastle Friday night fixture being postponed due to the COVID-19 outbreak at Newcastle's training ground, there's only nine games were played this weekend and Villa weren't able to ruin it for me. Anyway, moving into Saturday though and the day started off with Everton travelling to Burnley. The home side got off to a wonderful start and after some very sloppy passing from Everton in their own half, the ball was intercepted by Ashley Westwood. He laid it off to Robbie Brady, whose long-range effort was too good for Pickford and only three minutes in, Burnley were 1-0 up. It wasn't long after when Everton had a chance to equalise. Alex Awobi's low cross into the box was met by Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who forced Nick Pope into an incredible save. Just after Everton had the chance to make it one each, Burnley had the opportunity to double their lead. A long ball forward to Chris Wood was nodded down to McNeil, who played a beautiful ball back through to Chris Wood, which left it one-on-one with the keeper, but it was a poor effort and it was an easy save in the end for the keeper. Just as you thought Burnley were going into the break ahead, though, it was the deadly duo again of Richarlison and none other than Dominic Calvert-Lewin. It was Allen who dispossessed Ashley Westwood on the halfway line. Allen's ball through to Richarlison looked like it was to be too hard, but the Brazilian winger was just able to get there and his ball across the box was tapped in by Calvert-Lewin. There's not many things guaranteed in life, but death, taxes and Dominic Calvert-Lewin scoring with only one touch are certainly three of them. Anyway, half-time saw the two teams head in on level terms. The second 45, neither team really did much at all. 
Everton held the majority of the ball, as most teams do against Burnley. They just couldn't seem to do much with it. Gilfie Sigurdsson had the best chance of the half as he came on in the 81st, but it just wasn't enough to get past Nick Pope. And the game ended 1-1. Carlo Ancelotti will be very disappointed with the result and will feel as though it's a chance missed to take all three points. I can imagine that's the opposite feeling, though, to that of Sean Dyche. Despite probably feeling he could have won it, Burnley will not be disappointed coming away with a point there. Saturday's 3 o'clock kickoff saw Scott Parker's Fulham travel to the Etihad to take on a Manchester City side finally starting to find their feet. It was only three minutes into the game when City had their first real clear-cut chance. Riyad Mahrez looked to have laid it off perfectly for Raheem Sterling to make it 1-1 so early on, but the Fulham keeper was able to get down and keep Sterling shut out. Sterling and Man City needn't to worry though, as only two minutes later they had their first goal of the afternoon. It was none other than Kevin De Bruyne who really did this time tee it up perfectly for Sterling and he slotted it home. 20 minutes later, Man City were given a penalty. In my opinion, it was very, very soft. Sterling, as every forward is now, was looking for the slight contact against the defender before going down. He got that slight contact and dramatically fell to the floor. Of course, the referee gave the penalty and of course, with it being Man City, the VAR officials gave the penalty to. As the penalty was given by the referee, I can see why VAR stuck with the decision as it wasn't clear and obvious, as VAR like to say. But with how forensically Stockley Park looked into some of the decisions, it was a very soft one to give. But anyways, De Bruyne stepped up to take it and of course he puts it away. With only 25 minutes gone and City already being 2-0 up, it was looking like it was going to be a long afternoon for Fulham. But luckily for Fulham, Man City just didn't look like they were going to get out of second gear. If that was the 2018-19 Man City, they'd have been looking to stick 8 or 9 past that Fulham side, which they could very easily have done. They just didn't look up to it. Whether that's Pep telling them to take it easy and not to wear themselves out too much with a hectic Christmas period ahead, I don't know. But they just didn't look like the City that we're used to seeing. That half finished 2-0 and City did look to try and get more in the second. But as I just said, they didn't really get out of second gear at all. De Bruyne had the best chance to further the lead. And after some nice play between him and Gabriel Jesus, his shot just hit the bar. One very dangerous part of Man City's play though, that second half, came down the right with Joao Cancelo. But his delivery into the box were consistently cleared. 2-0 is how the game ended. Pep's probably feeling very content with the result. I don't think it'd be too wrong of me to say that he'll feel like his team could definitely have grabbed a few more goals. But the three points and climbing up the table is all that matters. Fulham do stay out of the relegation zone too, only six points away from Arsenal in 15th. If you'd have asked any Arsenal fan if 11 games in, they'd be disappointed to be six points behind Arsenal. I don't think many of them would have been complaining at all. West Ham versus Manchester United was the very first Premier League game to finally allow fans back into stadiums and what a sight it was to see. It finally looks like there might be a light at the end of this very long and very dark tunnel and after a very fortunate 2-1 win against Villa last week, West Ham were looking to take all three points against the Manchester United side and I think it's fair to say that they're not in the best form and that showed.
with Bruno and Marcus Rashford both starting on the bench. West Ham were very dominant in the first half. In the first 45 alone, West Ham had a total of 12 attempts and after 38 minutes of pushing United back, the deadlock was finally broken. Surprise, surprise, it came from a corner though. Declan Rice's header was flicked towards the back post and it was Thomas Suchek who turned the ball home. The score at half-time was somehow only 1-0 and unfortunately for the Hammers, the second 45, it was a completely different story. At half-time, Oli made two substitutions, bringing both Bruno Fernandes on and Marcus Rashford. And as you can imagine, with players of such high calibre, the game was completely turned on its head. United looked a lot more like an actual team in the second half rather than a team of individuals. And on the 65th minute, yet again, controversy took place at the London Stadium. Dean Henderson ran out towards the wing to clear the ball. And it, it landed at the feet of Bruno Fernandes, who then laid it off to Paul Pogba. And then his t- first time effort nestled into the corner past Fabianski. Why is that controversial, I hear you ask? Well, Dean Henderson's clearance forward looked like it had gone out of play. And looking at it, you can fully understand why West Ham would feel hard done by. But with no way to physically prove that the ball went out, the goal was allowed. One thing that I really can't get my head round is the fact that a Premier League game, there's roughly around 32 cameras with 32 with 32 different angles of the game. When you consider all of the controversy that has taken place around VAR, why they haven't got a da- camera down either touchline, I will never be able to get my head round. West Ham will feel very hard done by that and once that goal was given it completely changed the output of the game. Only three minutes after Pogba's goal Mason Greenwood managed to get his name on the score sheet again. Alex Tellez's delivery landed straight to him and he was able to control the ball and volley it past Fabianski. 2-1 to Man United and yet again they've somehow managed to come from behind. I mean, it really is no wonder when you've got the likes of Fernandez and Rashford coming off the bench. But talking of Rashford, he had the chance to make it three, but his effort was stopped by the post. However, just after that, Juan Mata's beautiful ball through was met by Rashford running through. And this time, he wasn't going to miss. 3-1 to Manchester United, and to say that West Ham came to rue their mistakes and chances in the first half, is an understatement. West Ham will feel very deflated after that one and will feel like they should have been both able to take their chances when they had them and they would have felt confident enough to have been able to keep United out but it just wasn't meant to be and somehow that means United are now sixth. With Chelsea in fine form and their fans also allowed back into the ground They welcomed Marcelo Bielsa's leads to Stamford Bridge ahead of Saturday's late game. And it was former Chelsea man Patrick Bamford who put the visitors ahead only three minutes into the game. A beautiful ball from Calvin Phillips completely broke through the Chelsea defence and into the path of Bamford who scored his eighth goal of the season. Despite Leeds taking the early lead, Chelsea were definitely the dominant team and came very close to equaling the tie through Olivier Giroud. But Timo Werner decided to turn into Leeds' best defender by pretty much clearing the ball off the line. What Werner was trying to do there, I've got no idea. 
as you could quite easily see the ball was going into the back of the net. But he just put his, he just stuck his foot in the way. Anyway, fortunately for Werner, it wasn't long before Chelsea did equalise through none other than that man Olivier Giroud. In my opinion, Giroud's by far the most underrated player in the league. And it just shows if you play him, he will score. And for me, he just doesn't get the plaudits he deserves. Anyway, the goal came after some nice play down the Chelsea right wing. And it was Rhys James's delivery into the box, who was met by Olivier Giroud at the front post. Into the second half, and Chelsea continued to push, and it was only 15 minutes into the second half, when Mason Mount's corner was met by Kurt Zuma, whose bullet header made it 2-1 to the home side. That goal made it Zuma's fourth goal of the season already, after only 10 games, and if he continues in this vein, he'll have a goal-scoring season that most forwards would be pleased with. As expected, though, the second half saw Leeds hold most of the ball, but Chelsea just didn't let them through, and despite Leeds having 63% possession in the second 45, they only had three shots in comparison to Chelsea's 15, with just 37% possession. Chelsea did make another one of those 15 attempts count though in the 93rd minute when Christian Pulisic made it 3-1 after Timo Werner squared it across to him. That made it Leeds' fifth loss of the season as they sit in 14th whereas Chelsea are loving life perched in third place. With West Brom finally getting their first win of the season last week at home to Sheffield United, they were looking to make it two wins out of two as they welcomed Crystal Palace to the Hawthorns. Palace got off to a wonderful start, going ahead only eight minutes into the game. A free kick was played short to Zaha, whose low hard cross into the box was met by Dernal Furlong, who could only turn the ball into his own net. On the half an hour mark, West Brom pulled gold back to level the tie though through Conor Gallagher. And only four minutes later, and yet again controversy strikes, Patrick Van Arnholt tackles and goes through the back of Mateus Pereira, who goes down, but as he's got his back to the floor, he kicks up into the midriff of Van Arnholt. The referee initially gave a yellow card, which most will think was the correct decision, but after VAR having another look and the referee going to look at the monitor, the yellow card was overturned and Pereira was shown a red. Personally, I believe that that the red card was the correct decision, I mean, Pereira's kick-out wasn't overly hard and it didn't really hurt Van Arnholt, but I do feel that kicking out does need to be kicked out of the game, pardon the pun, and therefore, in my opinion, it was the correct decision. That does mean, though, that Pereira does miss West Brom's next three games, unless, of course, West Brom appeal the sending off and risk a five-game ban. However, I don't think that will happen and they'll just get on with the three. But this red card really turned the game into Palace's favour. On the 55th minute, Wilfred Zaha finally got the goal that Palace were pushing for. And that's when the floodlights opened. After that cracking goal from Zaha, it was only five minutes later when Christian Benteke got his his name on the score sheet again. That was only his fourth goal in 53 appearances for Palace. And for me, a Villa fan... To finally see Benteke back on the score sheet, it was so good to see. Growing up, I absolutely idolised Benteke. And I was, and I am, 
So happy for him to get back to scoring ways. In the 69th minute, three then became four for Palace. And it was that man, Wilfred Zaha, again. Benteke then made it five and put the final nail in the West Bromwich Albion coffin, scoring his second of the game. You know, Benteke just loves a goal at the Hawthorns and where better for him to finally get back to scoring ways. With how much of an influence Benteke had on my love for football when he was at the Villa, I really do hope that he can keep the goals up. Just not when playing Villa though. <laughs> one, one player I've not mentioned as of yet and the standout performer from this game was Every Chiesa. What a player this guy's turning out to be. Personally, I was absolutely gutted when he went to Palace, knowing that Villa had just missed out on one of the best young talents in the country. And every time he gets on the ball, it's just constant positive thinking about going forward and going at and past defences, similarly to how Grealish is, and it's just so much fun to watch. But with Leicester coming off the back of a 2-1 loss at home to Fulham and also a midweek loss in the Europa League away in Ukraine to a team which I have no idea how to pronounce, they were looking to take all three points back to the Midlands with them as they travelled to Sheffield to take on a Sheffield United team still looking for their first win of the season. With With massive Sheffield Wednesday fan Jamie Vardy up top for Leicester, he would have been looking to make it a miserable Sunday for those Blades fans. He looked like he had done that very early on as his shot fired against the post. But it wasn't too long after that though when Iosi Perez did make it 1-0 to the Foxes. Two minutes later, and no surprise it came from a corner, but Sheffield United scored their fifth goal of the season from Ollie McBurney. That was Sheffield United's only shot on target of the half. As Leicester were pushing to, that was Sheffield United's only shot of the half. That was Sheffield United's only shot of the half as Leicester were pushing to make. That was Sheffield United's only shot on half as Leicester were pushing to take the lead for the second time. Madison looked like he had put them ahead again, but similarly to Vardy's chance. That also shattered the post. Somehow the score was level at half-time and it stayed that way too until the 88th minute. The Blades were only able to have three shots in the second half, but Leicester never gave up and in the 88th there was only one man who was going to break the hearts of Sheffield United fans and that was the man who we mentioned at the beginning and that's Jamie Vardy. Chris Wilder must surely be counting it down his days at Sheffield United because if things stay the same for them, they might become the first team to not win a Premier League game. And to say that it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if that was the case really speaks volumes. For me, Wilder's just got to go if Sheffield United want any chance of somehow staying up this season. But the question for them will be who do they bring in as there's not many who fit the mould for Sheffield United. But unless they somehow have a miraculous turnaround in form, there's really no hope for Sheffield United this season. Leicester, on the other hand, are looking like they could be putting the past few weeks of poor results behind them and they'll now be looking to pick up another three points next week as they face Brighton. With all Southern teams being allowed 
fans back into stadiums, 2,000 Spurs fans were able to watch the North London derby live in the flesh and they weren't disappointed. With this Spurs team in magnificent form, they faced an Arsenal team in absolutely horrendous form. With Arsenal on only four wins from 10 games prior to this game and a Spurs team with two of the most informed players in world football, for me, there was only ever going to be one winner. Spurs came out and let Arsenal have the ball. Normally, against any team, that's a dangerous tactic. But against a side with only 10 goals all season, against a defence as strong as Spurs is at the minute, it was no wonder why Jose Mourinho opted to play this counter-attacking way and only 13 minutes into the game, it proved its worth. The ball was cleared into Harry Kane's path, whose vision saw Hyun Ming Son run through and played it perfectly into his feet. With Sergio Reguillon running down the left flank on the overlap, diverting the attention of both Rob Holding and Hector Bellerin, Son was in acres of space with nobody even attempting to, clo- to close him down. He went for the long-range shot, which was perfectly executed and it sailed past Burnt Leno in the Arsenal goal. With Spurs sitting back and Arsenal having to resort to crosses, Arsenal really didn't get any goal scoring opportunities at all that first half. Spurs though, despite sitting back, had a fantastic long range effort saved by Leno from a Hoiberg strike and just before half time, the deadly duo of Son and Kane combined again to double their lead. This time, it was score-returning provider as Kane's close-range thunderbolt of a shot smashed against the underside of the bar and over the line. In the second half, it was just exactly what we saw in the first half. Spurs sitting back, soaking up the pressure and Arsenal failing time after time to do anything with the ball. Arsenal's best chance of the game came from a cross because that's all they really did. But it was Lacazette who was on the end of it. But his effort could only force Lloris into pulling off a very routine save. The game ended 2-0. No real surprise at all considering how both teams played. And I just mentioned a few minutes ago that Chris Wilder's counting down his days. I think Mikel Arteta is too. I can't see the Arsenal board sticking with Arteta when the results just aren't there. Arsenal are a massive club and to be 15th in the league, it's just not acceptable for their standards. Mourinho, on the other hand, he's proving every single doubter wrong who said that his time had passed. And What Jose Mourinho is doing at Spurs, I don't think any other manager in world football would be able to do. With fans allowed back and with Trent Alexander-Arnold coming back from injury and coming off the bench... There were plenty of positives to take away from this game for a Liverpool perspective. Not so much for a Wolves fans though. Former Wolf Diego, Diogo Jota surprised everyone by starting on the bench against his former club, but it wasn't long before the reigning champions were ahead. A clipped ball forward from Jordan Henderson was very poorly controlled by Conor Cody, of all people, and it was none other than that man, Mohamed Salah, who nipped the ball away from Cody and he slotted it past Rue Patricio to make it 1-0. The first half was dominated by Liverpool, with Wolves being able to hold them out and keep it to only the one goal, despite Liverpool having 71% possession. 
the second half opened up a, up a bit. Wolves started to keep the ball and attack a bit more. But whenever you do that against Liverpool, you've also got to be able to defend against them. 1-0 soon became 2, only 13 minutes after half-time. Henderson again dinking a perfectly weighted ball over to Ginny Wijnaldum this time, who was on the end of it. And his long-range effort was perfectly placed in the top corner, past Patricio in the Wolves' goal. It was only nine minutes later when Liverpool added yet another to their tally. A short corner was taken quickly to Mo Salah, whose perfectly weighted delivery into the box was met by Joel Matip. If it wasn't sealed already, Liverpool added another, this time with Trent's ball into the box, was met by Sadio Mane, who looked to have completely miskicked it before Nelson Semedo carrying it into his own net. After a very dodgy start to the season, Liverpool looked to finally be back to their best. And without half their team as well. Wolves face Villa next though. And with both teams without key men, it'll be a very interesting game. Hopefully, because of the two-week break Villa have had, we'll be able to be victorious. But you just never know this season. And the final game of the weekend took place on Monday night as Southampton travelled to Brighton. With Brighton being one of the few clubs allowing fans back in stadiums and with their recent form, the Brighton fans will have been hoping to see a Brighton win despite knowing it will be a tough-fought hard game. It didn't take long for them to take the lead either. Brighton were given a penalty through a handball given away by James Ward-Prowse. Pascal Gross was the one to step up and confidently put the home side ahead. Unfortunately for the Seagulls though, they weren't able to take the lead into half-time as just before the whistle blew, James Ward-Prowse's corner was met by 6'7", Yannick Vestergaard, whose header was brilliantly directed past Matt Ryan in the Brighton goal. Overall, it was a pretty even game. Both teams had chances, but neither team could really do anything with the ball. But... In the 78th minute, yet again, VAR controversy happened when Walker Peters was found clearly outside the box. What followed, I'll never understand, and I seriously mean, I'll never understand. As Carl Walker Peters was taken taken down outside the box, on his way down, his foot got caught between Solly March's leg and the free kick for the original foul was overturned and given as a penalty for the so-called secondary foul. I'm genuinely lost for words as to why that decision was given and as to what possible reasoning the officials have to give that as a penalty. For me, this has to go down as one of the most bizarre decisions of all time. Anyways, the penalty was given and Danny Ings, who came on at half-time, stood up to take it and scored. The game ended 2-1 as Southampton continue their incredible start to the season. That's all from me today. Thank you very much for listening. Again, I apologise for not having any episodes last week, but hopefully that won't be happening again. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at LTFootballPod. Take it easy and I'll see you all soon for another episode. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. 
So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.